what kind of stories you want? Oh, I, I have one story from the um, from the Acon weekend. We talked a little bit about that yesterday. Mm-hmm. The Acons playing Acon story. Mm-hmm. Do you want that story? Acons playing Acon. Yeah, who's playing Acon in the bathroom? Oh, <laughs> yeah. You want that? Yeah, it's a great story. All right, so here's a here's an Acon story. Hoobie story. So we, as Arlen shared a little bit yesterday, about a month ago, we helped. Um, I shouldn't say we helped. We produced Akon's music video for a song called TikTok Freak. We were reached out to like 10 days prior to this by a incredible rock star from Akon's team, um, Shanae. And she sort of saw us as like these, this new wave kids, uh, these new wave kids that understand what's going on in social. And we, they wanted to incorporate some of the TikTok faces. They wanted to do it in LA and they wanted us to sort of help revamp his career through the launch of this song, which they partnered on. It's called TikTok Freak, but they also partnered with TikTok on it. So I sold them on this whole idea of let's get him to LA. Let's shoot the music video there. We brought in Jake the Shooter, who Arlen's probably referenced in the past, but Jake the Shooter's an incredibly talented um, Boston-based kid who made his way out to LA and now produces a bunch of huge, huge music videos there. So when Akon and his team and Shanae had reached out to me, they were like, can you guys do this, this, and this? And as I normally do, I was like, yes, yes, and yes, even though I couldn't do any of them. And then I went and found the best people that could do all those things, right? One of my biggest strengths, I think, as an entrepreneur, and one of the most important things is know what you know and know what you don't know and know what you can do and, and, and what you can't do. And so I always try and surround ourselves with the, the best in the business in all the different areas. So we ended up pulling this concept together for this shoot, brought in Jake the Shooter on it, brought in a bunch of dancers, um, brought in a bunch of TikTok talent. Hit up David Dobrik, asked him and Natalie if we could shoot the music video at their house. I wanted David to jump into the music video, but he he was like too cool at the start. And then by the time, by by the end of it, I kind of felt like he wanted to jump in, but it was too late. Fast forward, I'm being too long winded here. As part of the weekend activation, Unruly, who's an agency we do a lot of work with, um, my friend Tara runs Unruly, they were doing a Halloween party at the Face House. And I had asked Akon if we could show up and do a little surprise performance because I knew it would be a huge highlight. It would give everybody um, sort of a blast from their past, from their, their childhood. And um, I knew it would be a big thing for, for Tara and, and Unruly as well. So long story short, we had planned to bring Akon over to this party. It was like a huge sold out party. And we were supposed to go on, I think around like 11, my, my times might be fucked up, but um, for, exa- for the example's sake, we were supposed to be on at 11.10. And Tara was like so um, adamant that we were there on time. We got up there because I had this whole stage set up for it. The Phase Warehouse is freaking huge, a massive space that we've been to at events at before. Um, but it was packed. Like the whole, the entire place was packed. So I tried to time it properly. Meanwhile, like Akon's doing us a favor. So I was trying to allow him to enjoy his night. So I brought him to Craig's. He had a bunch of his business people there. It was me, myself, I me, myself, me, Bianca, Harry Jelsey, um, Georgia, his girlfriend at the time, Akon and his people there. Um, and then like King Batch and a bunch of the others ended up joining us. We ended up getting over to, and now this story is too long-winded, but we ended up getting over to phase right around probably 11 o'clock, and they brought us up into the green room area. I think at this point, you probably came and joined us. Did mm-hmm. you come upstairs to the green no, room? No, I didn't. You didn't? Okay. So Arlen was already downstairs in the mix, but we had our old crew upstairs. We were with um, Eli, who um, manages the DJ there, our buddy Eli, who works with Diddy's team. And we go upstairs, and Akon's now seeing a bunch of people he hasn't seen in a long time, but there's probably like 20 of us in our crew upstairs. I'm getting texts from Tara, the one running the party, yelling at me, like, Akon needs to get on the stage right now. 
they're, they're about to switch from a stage to like the DJ stuff for the DJ that's coming on later in the night. And so she's freaking out at me. Meanwhile, I'm like, Tara, Akon's doing us a favor. Like I can't yell at him to like, like hurry up. So he's sitting now, down now in the green room, green room with the DJ going through the set of the songs he's going to play. And I don't really understand what's going on, but they're getting a line for like what the beats are going to be and, and what the order of the songs are and all that. So at this point, I'm like, Akon, are you ready to go on? He looks at me. He's like, Jordan, I need to go to the bathroom first. There's only one public bathroom at the Phase Warehouse. This, isn't, this place isn't built for shows or festivals. So I grab Akon and I just try and I, like, I, I do like when, whenever we're with talent, we're trying to get through an area. Like I just have them grab, grab my shoulder and I sort of set a little, a, a little path for them to follow me through. And no one really realized by the time we walk by people, people like I heard a couple of people say like that's Akon, but we got through to the bathroom and I was confused because I thought Akon was taking a dump. Like I thought Akon had to take a dump before he went on stage. <laughs> but I start, so he goes into the stall and I walk into the bathroom and Akon goes right into the stall and he comes out of the stall like three minutes later and Tara is freaking out at me now. And I realized the whole, that the whole time he wasn't going to the bathroom. He, was, he couldn't listen to what they had worked on upstairs, him and the DJ, when he was outside in the main room because it was so loud. So he was fixing stuff on his phone and then listening to it in his ear. And he was using the stall as a place to get some silence. So he walked out of the bathroom after three minutes. And at this point, I'm standing by the door where the entrance to the bathroom is. And when Akon came out, he was still doing this. But at this point, I'm like, all these kids are going to realize in a second, all these drunk kids, that this is Akon just in the bathroom. So I sort of funnel him behind me into the empty space when the door opens, Akon's behind the door to the bathroom. So no one can really see him. And I'm sort of got my body in front of him right here. So he starts putting on this song up to his ear and it's like, nobody want to see us together. <laughs> and it's Akon behind the door doing this. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, what the fuck is my life? I'm getting yelled at by Tara to get Akon on the stage. And all of a sudden, some drunk kid at the urinal looks up and he's like, yo, who's playing Akon? <laughs> And fucking Akon just chuckles behind me in the corner. And I'm sitting there like, these fucking idiots have no idea that Akon's playing Akon <laughs> behind the door in the bathroom right now. I'm getting yelled at by Tara. It's like complete chaos. But like, I literally thought Akon had to use the men's room before. He's fixing this music. These kids have no idea. And like five minutes later, Akon gets on stage. All these idiots in the bathroom are probably like, Holy shit, dude. That was fucking Akon playing Akon. <laughs> but it was just so, it was such chaos, but it was just a, uh, definitely a pretty funny story. There's, I feel like you have so many hilarious stories like that, like whether it was Akon or 50 or. Just yeah. Like, it's just like a fine line of like what, what can, that's like a very family friendly story and there's nothing like, like somebody like Akon wouldn't want out there. It was just a funny circumstance. But with all of these different stories with these types of people, like I had a funny ass night with L, uh, with um, YG and Bia the other night too. Some funny stories there. But we'll do one, I guess, one funny story each pod. I'm so hungry. Right now? Yeah. Do you want to just- all right, we're back. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a hilarious story. But I feel like all these, it's just like the meeting a celebrity. Like the funny things that happen, it's like celebrity life comedy. I can't imagine how funny it is for them. To like be them, you know. Well, I actually sort of can a little bit because I've had funny things happen to me, but not on that level. Like Akon's playing Akon. Um, so funny, dude! I was on a Facetime with him one day, and some lady flipped him off in the car, 
or like the I think it was like his daughter or something that was driving them, and he was in the passenger seat, and the lady like beeped at them, flipped them off, and then pulled up to them at the red light, and then she realized it was Akon. It was like it was like yeah, don't be beeping at me, and he was just like vibing <laughs> back and forth. This lady, she's like it's Akon. <laughs> I just saw the um, video of Tiger Woods getting pulled over for the DUI. Remember that? Have you ever seen it? Yeah. It's crazy. Jupiter Island in Florida. Yeah, and the, the cop is like, I need you to recite the alphabet backwards. Or no, I need you, you, you to recite the alphabet without singing it. And he's like, so what is the assignment? And Tiger Woods is like, sing the national anthem. What are your, th- <laughs> what are your thoughts on Tiger Woods? Good golfer. Yeah, that's like <laughs> scratching the surface. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't like... When that whole thing was going down, keep in mind, you're four years older. You're four years older than me. Yeah. Like, I didn't care about stuff back then. Like, I didn't care about what was happening. Thank you so much. Oh. Um, Yeah, I didn't care about what was happening with Tiger Woods whenever that was happening. So I just look back on it, and I'm like, I don't really have an opinion on that. The only reason I was really kind of, like, bought into it is... My friend Casey Taylor, who's freaking loaded, is neighbors with Tyler on Jupiter Island. So he had gotten like a car accident. There was two incidents. I don't know if that was the same one where he got into a car accident like a half mile from his house. Mm-hmm. And like I could, you could like see Casey's house on the news. So I was um, like really on top of the story. But I think it's an interesting topic with people like him. And like I can't think of like outside of obviously the Me Too movement and the fucked up things that have been brought into life with that stuff for the people like the tiger woods or like the bob crafts even who have who are like these very prominent individuals who have like a sex story that arises like that mm-hmm. like it seems like everyone in the world's for- mm-hmm. forgiven because tiger didn't break the law yeah i don't think what exactly did he do? He just cheated on his wife a lot? Or there was what? like 35 um, different... He was a big Vegas guy, too. There was like oh. 35 different sex workers or, or um, oh, strippers was- that he was like dating, but he wasn't... I mean, first of all, I think prostitution is legal in, in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't know that for certain, but I don't think he was doing anything illegal. I think it was more of a moral thing. Like, he had this mm-hmm. beautiful but Swedish... He, he had a wife, right? A, yeah, a Swedish wife. Lindsay Vaughn? No, that was after. He had oh. a Swedish wife who was a, he was a, she was a nanny. I forget her name. Beautiful lady. She was a nanny for one of the other golfers on the tour, and then Tiger met her through, met her through that. But like that's what's his name's mom, Tiger's son's mom. That's always playing on these these golf tours now. Hmm. Okay. But then you have people like Bob Kraft too, who I didn't know anything about him. He had something come out. Yeah. Joe Tacopino actually represented him. I think I think that's public knowledge, but he he got uh, in trouble for a massage in Florida. Mm. <laughs> okay, weird topic. Yeah, I just like I feel like I didn't know anything about that, and then it's just like we. I just think of Bob Kraft as just like this kind of like grandpa like figure. And now I'm imagining him like being creepy at massage parlor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think people were kind of like like Portner used to talk about it. Uh-huh. He's like, leave the guy, leave the guy alone if he wants to get a massage in Florida. Okay, kind of a, um, kind of a Steve will do a topic. It is. 
I mean, I think a, a good topic, I just can't stop thinking about it, but it's giving me content is like, I'm so hungry right now. But that's like, professionalism is like, it's like you forgot to eat before your game. Your lacrosse game. What are you going to do? Not play? No, you have the fucking water boy. You'll get you like a Snickers bar at halftime. Yeah, it's all, it's all you can do. Mm-hmm. Except my water boy's not responding. <laughs> Fired. <laughs> what happens if I call? I think she's okay there. Calling in. Can we call in people here? We shouldn't. Hey. Hi. Um, did you get my text? No. Okay, please check. Thank you so much. Love you. Okay, bye. All right, bye. Bye. I do not know what happened to the audio in that, during that, but that's going to be interesting. All right. Do you want to have like, do you want to talk about something educational here? Do you want to? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think we could bridge off of that Akon story. Like, how did you do that? How did you do that? Like, how do, how do you, how do you behave around someone like Akon? Like a calm pond. Is that what you said yesterday? Mm-hmm. How do you behave around someone like Akon? I just noticed that you have something that I actually don't think I have. I mean, I just have a different approach when I meet celebrities, but you are able to like walk in a room with celebrities and like charisma it in like a very smooth way, which is such a, it's like such a bold approach. Do you know what I'm talking this, about? Yeah, I know what you're talking you about. You like buddy up with these guys and bully them. This is what I'm saying. I don't bully them, but this is <laughs> you what I'm bully saying. some people. So you know, you want to know it's a really funny image that you could pop up. At, like when we when we post this, you can pop up with this. Is that one picture in David's room at the Fifty Cent party when Bianca's taking the mirror selfie, and then in the background you can just see me like in 50s face like so passionately talking about something because yeah. i have no idea what i was talking about and this is this is part of the reason i wanted to do this podcast is because i have no fucking idea i have no uh-huh. idea i understand that i have that superpower and that i um have a way of making those things happen and making those those individuals feel comfortable but I, I haven't reversed en- engineered it to a point where like I can tell you, hey, Arlen, these are the steps. We talked about it a little bit in one of your um, mm-hmm. one of your workshops that I stopped in on in LA. Yeah. Um, but this, look at them as a bus- I look at them as a business partner when I'm with them. I don't look at them as a mm-hmm. celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's the framing of it. That's that's what it is. Because you can kind of goof around with your business partner, like ma- like you're able to make. It's like the first time I saw it was like definitely with the vlog squad guys, just like how you treat them, you know, because I looked at them as I definitely looked at them as celebrities when I first met them, because to me, they kind of were and I didn't really, I mean, I understood, I understood obviously their value to Hubi, um, or their value as a business partner, but I guess you just totally remove that when like you, you remove the celebrity and you're like, this is my business partner slash i'm gonna give this guy a little shit like, yeah it, it, it's the same thing though it's like it's the same thing i was talking about um about my frustration when people are like what do i not have enough followers to hang out with you it's like 
I've ch- I've chosen to work with these people the same way they've chosen to work with me, mm-hmm. and and like there are plenty of people, and you know this, but like we did David Dobrik's birthday party, and and we put on that that partnership with him, and we um and we've done Akon's music video. There have been thirty other people that have come to me and asked me to 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 produce their music video. There have been now probably twenty five to thirty other celebrities creators that have come to me and asked us to do their birthday party with them it's mm-hmm. like we choose the people that we want to work with and we think we're aligned on mm-hmm. with like what our vision is and what we want to build in the world there are mm-hmm. plenty of people that have huge social followings that i have no fucking interest in hanging out with mm-hmm. or being around or doing yeah, business with and i think it's also because the normal advice that you hear online which sucks is uh don't treat celebrities like celebrity treat them like a normal person that's not true at all. <laughs> it's like, it's not even close to true. That's the normal advice. Yeah. But you're saying, for, but you, for your case, it's like treat them like your business partner because it is. Well, I mean, but, it, but what else is it? I guess, I guess that, that, um, that advice is fine for like, hey, if you run into somebody at a, a celebrity at a diner, if you see Adam Sandler, I saw Adam Sandler normal as fuck on some TikTok walking into some like chicken spot. It looked like it was in the Midwest the other day. It's like, if you see Adam Sandler at a diner and you want to say hi to Adam Sandler, you, you abide by the same rules as if it was somebody that would, that that's a normal person. Like you don't interrupt them when they're eating. You wait till after they're eating and you, you introduce yourself or you say hi, the same way you would for like a prominent business person or, or somebody that you had a, freaking crush on like you would you would wait until they're done eating and you would and you you would interrupt them at the appropriate time um when you're trying to get business done with them and you're trying to build things with them and you're trying to provide value to them you don't treat you don't treat a celebrity an a-list celebrity a celebrity like a normal person in terms of like the way you're going to provide value for them or um i don't know it's not it's completely different yeah i think it doesn't work because in in the back of your head you're like Okay, treat them like a normal person, but they're not really. Yeah, there's also <laughs> this thing called, and, and this is one thing that I've, and I, I try and tread lightly when I give examples of things like these. So I don't even know if I'll be able to give a, a clear example, but there's, there's this clear thing called celebrity ego, which is the fact that like, if any of these, if you think of like a big time A-list celebrity, let's use Dwayne Johnson as an example, The Rock. Mm-hmm. If The Rock wants to meet anyone, in the world or getting to a room to have a conversation with anyone in the world he can. Mm -hmm. But there are people that he won't like, he he won't arrange a meeting with this other a lister because of this thing called celebrity ego. But if you find the right timing, the right circumstance to put these people into a room, they'll still be excited about that opportunity to get into that room with that person and talk about an opportunity. Do you know what I mean? But they're not going to go out of their way or they're not going to ask a favor it's the same way i don't know we were talking the other day about like asks with someone like with someone like natalie like i space out my ask it's, it's like i don't know it's it's hard to describe i i have specific examples that i don't feel comfortable sharing but maybe mm-hmm. maybe in a later pod mm-hmm. i do as well i mean i i think we do think about that similarly in in different ways um because we also have different goals of the types of people that we want in our circle but if i ever want to become closer to someone it's it's a pretty similar process um it's it's usually my angle is usually like how do i creatively dump value on this person repeatedly um 
a lot of people ask me about Iman, like how I, how we became acquaintances. Um, I don't even know if you know this, uh, but he, I had just, I, I, where did I even first, I had a similar um, mentor that he did and he had told me like that my mentor told me check out this guy Iman like he's got this cool like business he's doing you know whatever $100,000 a month he's only 19 years old he's living a cool social life like he's got a cool brand going and so I followed him and I think he he I'm not 100% sure if he knew me before that but um basically I I just started to really respect what he was doing and one day I saw he was running like a marathon or some kind of like 10k or something like that. And he was doing it for charity. So I donated like a thousand bucks to the charity and I mentioned it on my story. It was actually, I think it was on my birthday, like a couple, two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago. And I posted on my story, like, Hey guys, um, this guy, Iman, like really admire what he's doing. Um, I just donated some money to his charity. You guys should go check it out. Uh, it's my birthday, but I wanted to, I like to give, I think with my birthday is a funny topic we could talk about next, but, uh, like I, like that day, I don't think I did anything and I donated to charity and like that made me happy, you know? And after that he followed me and it was just a mutual, like, I don't know. I just like, like, It was just like, like who does that, right? Like who, who donates something to someone that has all the money in the world that, um, that, that cares. Like I, I try to look at what is someone not known? What, what is someone very famous for whatever one thing they're famous about? And what is the thing that they're the most excited about that they never get to talk about or that, or that a lot of people don't acknowledge. And I pump that thing up. And, uh, and that's what I tell guys in Tribe Accelerator to do. It's like if you're going to meet Jordan Greenfield, it's like don't talk about Hubie. Talk yeah. about Noah. Yeah. Right? Or, or like if you're talk- meet Matt Folk, talk about DJing. Don't talk about basic agency. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I'll talk to you for freaking four or golf. Yeah. Right. That's why golf's such a freaking like, like huge asset in business because if you get the most prominent billionaire in the world that you know is a golf fan, mm-hmm. I mean, like, let's use, um, I mean, the, the, there wasn't, there wasn't nearly as much cause I had no idea who was with, with, um, with Ryan, but like Zach Bia's crew, Gilly, mm-hmm. like I know Gilly, um, Gilly, Zach Bia's best, best friend. Mm-hmm. And obviously we've been admiring what, what him and, and, um, and Zach have been doing for a long time. And we have a bunch of mutual friends. They came to our 50 cent party and Gilly was waiting in like this long ass bathroom line, mm-hmm. and we had rented the house for uh, rented. We had worked out an agreement with David to obviously have that event at the house, so we had access to the house. So I was like, "Gilly, you're not waiting in line here." I brought him upstairs, introduced myself. I ended up last week because I've seen he's fallen in love with golf, inviting them to play at the Win here in Vegas, and it's like the common ground of being golf lovers just completely got rid of like everything else. And it's just like, uh, it, it gives you, it gives you that level playing ground regardless of, of who you are. If you share that, that common interest, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You really utilize golf effectively. 
Like you are like the epitome of someone who's like, you should play golf for business. Yeah. <laughs> what would be your, your guide to using golf for business? I mean, the most, the most effective thing about golf or the reason why it's so incredible for business is because business is like a foreplay game. You know what I mean? It's not like if if you bring the right people out to discuss business and golf. I know there's a golf show called Foreplay. If that's what you're gonna. Well, is it foreplay? Is that what it's called? <laughs> like, well, let me finish and then okay, tell me. Go ahead. So, like, if 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 you don't bring up business until hole twelve or thirteen, if you go out with people and you just enjoy and you have a goal for a business conversation, and you go to play a round of golf. You don't need to get to that point till hole 13. You have four fucking hours. You can go two and a half fucking, two and a half hours of foreplay, of freaking just chatting about what you're passionate about, about golf, about like just small talk about everything else outside of business. And then you get to hole 13, 14, you finally bring up that thing when you've already, there's already this, you got, you're probably already three or four cocktails in. Everyone's having a relaxing time. Everyone's got a clear head. They're, they're no longer stressed about the, um, the, the fact that they were there three minutes before tea time. And they're like, they're, they're finally in that, that serenity state that I think golf can provide, especially for hungry entrepreneurial people, because you're outside in the world for four hours. Like these are, especially in the business world, if you're out there golfing, you're you're with people, at least in my experience, that are used to just being behind their computer screens all day long and not getting that real sense of breath breath air, especially during, like middle of the week. And so I think it just provides this like incredible opportunity to not rush to anything and to just really have this this four hour experience with people where um, you're not overwhelmed or distracted by all the other things life life throws at you on a daily basis. I think golf is incredible. And people that love golf love fucking golf. I like golf. Yeah, you sucked the other day. Lost me some money. It's a team. Yeah. I carried the team the other day. We lost. Did you carry? I mean, (laughs) for somebody that didn't play high school golf. Okay. Well... Yeah, I didn't play well. I I didn't play amazing, but I think I played well for someone that's only played once before in all of 2022. Yeah. Anyway, um, I I think yeah. My thought was why don't why don't we just spend the rest of this episode unpacking and trying to analyze Jordan, Jordan. Unpacking or packing? Unpacking and analyzing how you do things. For the for someone, how about someone? How, here's a question I get a lot. I work a lot on my business, and I don't have enough time to make new friends. And all my friends are shitty. All my friends they just want to party and drink all the time. And I'm trying to level up in life right now. Who gives a shit? You want to know what Kobe Bryant said? He said that chasing your dreams is a lonely pursuit. And that is more true in entrepreneurship or creator world, whatever it is, than anything, I think. I think it is a lonely pursuit. And I think that 
if you're going to build anything of real, real, real value, those early days on, of that pursuit, until you, until you start to, to gather the pack of believers around you, is going to be hell. There, I, I don't think there's any other way. I don't think it should be fun trying to build because if it was easy, everyone would do it. But I don't, I think that- Did like, you have that though? I mean, you had Casson, Sam, Connor from day one, didn't you? No. No? No. Definitely not. Concept of Hubi and me having the confidence to like not go the traditional route was I'd already raised, I, I think I like the name Hubi and Hubi 1.0. I met Cass probably a year into it, but even before that, like the transition of, of deciding that I was going to do my own thing and I was going to completely ditch the safety net. That wasn't something that I was holding hands with five people when doing. I was standing alone. So, so your friends weren't into that, that life? No. So I mean, how, like, long, I don't, how long were you in that hustle? Where it was a very lonely pursuit? Mm-hmm. I think probably two and a half years. I think from like the age of like I met Cass and probably at the age 26. I think from probably 23 to 25, 26 was, was that pursuit of like my darkest years of my life were probably 21 to 25. Because I was tr- I was trying to find my identity. I was transitioning from thinking I was an athlete my whole life and being referred to as a lacrosse player to like what is what what am, what am I like what mm-hmm. what am I going to be? I thought when I was at Fairfield University that if I wanted to make money, I had to work on Wall Street, and I hated Wall Street and I hated finance. And then I worked in biotech, and I hated that. But I started to see this idea of like the concept of a startup and the fact that you could actually draw or make a plan on a napkin and dream a vision and like you can actually go get that funded and you can actually go in and sell a like create something from the ground up and that could turn into something you could sell for hundreds hundreds of millions of dollars like I learned that lesson through my early days at biotech but I was like I'm not going to build a, a, a bio I, I, the last science class I took was in 10th grade mm-hmm. like I'm this isn't the area I'm going to do it in but the fact that you can actually conceptualize something from literally fucking nothing and I saw people over like a two-year period take that and go and build that into something real, like that. In in what space? Biotech. Yeah, in biotech. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had another point to go into there, but I, it's, it's a great topic. I, I mean, you were lonely. Yeah, I, th- I think it's the scariest fucking thing. I, I think the biggest. I think, and, and and I think that this this is why maybe I've shied away from talking about some of the entrepreneurial stuff. And, and like, obviously we put ourselves out there and everyone, we put Hubi out there at a, at a pretty large scale now, but I think the, um, I think there's a lot of power and, and, um, it's a tough thing to really stake your freaking flag in the ground and say, Hey, this is what I'm going to go and try and accomplish. This is what, a, this, this is what my plan is. And this is what I'm setting out to do because to a lot of people that's like, yeah, it is right. That's a very hard thing to do. That's, I think it's a huge part of the battle, though. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a, I had a, a tech startup. Do you know this? No. I had an app. No. Yeah. What was it called? Rally. 
rally app. I have an ad for it. What is it? What is rally app? Let me see if I can pull up the ad. You want to see an ad? Yeah, but I do want to stay focused on that topic you were talking about, though, because I feel like it was good, and I forget what it even was. It, it was it was my friends are shitty, and uh, how do I be successful? Fuck. Well, I I think I think I think you need to be empathetic about like what your friends hear at the start of this shit too, right? What your friends hear about what you're doing. Like put yourself in your friend's shoes at the start of this. So like let, let's let's think about twenty five year old Jordan Greenfield for a second. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm. I would hate me too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You have all these people around you that you've known forever that are twenty five and they're settling into something that they probably think is going to be their career for the next decade or two decades. What are you doing? Just let me fucking talk. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is like seriously. I try and I try and be empathetic to this. So. Yeah. You're sitting there with people that feel like they're boxed into like, these are my options of what I can do in life, mm-hmm. right? And at 25, you're probably settling into the fact of like, okay, these are, these are my goals for the promotions I'm going to get at this type of company. For a normal person, it's like, this is- I was 25 once. There aren't a lot, yeah, yesterday. There, there's a lot of, two days ago. For the normal person, there's, there's, a, there's a short menu there of what their options are. Like what they what they can, what they can actually think are their options. When you're 25 years old and you're looking at your next decade of your life, and you're locked into a job that you don't really love, that's not really stretching you, where you don't think there's maybe other options of a places where you can not only make more money but feel more fulfilled, or where you can feel more empowered to do what it is that like you want to accomplish in this life. Like, there's not a lot of outside of starting your own shit. Like think about it. you. There, there's a, b- a bunch of companies you can go work at, but every one of those companies comes with a jobs d- description of exactly what mold they want you to fit into, what box they want you to fit into. So you're 25 and you're sitting there with your friend who's going and talking about the fact that like, hey, I want to go work with these. I want to do like I see it a lot bigger. Like I want to build a fucking company and uh, a brand name that's going to be seen all over the world. And I want to do work with people like Tom Brady and with people like 50 Cent and with people like Akon and with people like David Dobrik and with people like Harry Jelsey. And like, I'm not going to settle until I can figure out a way to do that. And as the person that's on that pursuit, the only way that that's ever going to happen is if you continuously talk about it, you continuously manifest it. And if you continue to try to make it real for yourself. And so now you're the person who's sitting there talking about all this crazy bullshit that when I was 24, 25, there's no reason why any normal person should have believed that I was going to be able to go make those things happen. Like there's no reason why there's nothing on paper there that says that Jordan has this direct route to go and do these things that he's talking about. And so I'm trying to sit there and continue to fuel myself and my passion by talking about this stuff so I can try and make it real. And you have all these people sitting around you like this kid's full of fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Like, why is he talking about this? I just want to sit here and I want to drink my natty light. Like, like shut mm-hmm. the fuck up. Mm-hmm. I have to go to work on Monday from nine to five and then I'm going to come home and I'm going to feel like shit afterwards. And meanwhile, this kid won't shut up about, go, uh, about wanting to build these things with these, the, these people that he has no way of getting to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's annoying. 100% relate. It's annoying. Yeah. I, I remember I had a friend... When I went, I, I started my, that phase when I was, uh, 19, 18, 18. I watched the social network. I fucking love that movie. That mo- That's what kicked it for me. Really? Zuck? Yeah. Zuck kicked it for me. And I saw him, 
it was one scene where he is in boring computer science class at Harvard and his buddy comes up to him and he's like, Hey Mark, um, relationship status. Do you know if, uh, Sarah's single? He's like, people don't just wear a sign on their chest that says if they're in a, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then he, he crashes off and storms off in the Harvard snow. And that was like the scene that for me, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but whatever I do, I want it to feel like that. Like I get an idea in the middle of the day and I leave whatever it is I'm doing to go do it. And then I do it all night and then it affects people. And, um, that, that inspired me. And then I put, um, on, I had a LinkedIn and I was going, I would like, it's so funny. We could probably reflect on this. This could be a whole episode, but we can obviously read that. The topic we're on right now is so good. This could be a whole nother episode, but, um, early entrepreneurship beliefs that are just so stupid. <laughs> like I, like, I mean, I just thought that LinkedIn was so important and I just connected with everyone at my school cause I wanted to have 500 plus connections and I put entrepreneur in my bio. And this was like around the time I decided I was going to like make an app or, or something. And I remember I had a friend, um, on my club hockey team who was like, dude, you're not an entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I remember it like so clearly. Um, and for whatever reason, that's always stuck with me. Cause like I look at it now and I'm like, I think I am like, but like yeah. you, I was back then too. Yeah. Like it's all broke as a mindset, rich as a mindset. Anyway, we can, that's, I love that topic, but, uh, like early, early, well, it's still related. Just like early, like beliefs we had that some were stupid, but some were good. So who do you think are like the five most, because being an entrepreneur has been the coolest thing of the last two decades mm-hmm. for like everyone now. Mm-hmm. Like, and there was entrepreneurship that existed far before 2000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you who, have, who are the what? Then you have people like Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. people like Jack Dorsey, people like Evan Spiegel from from Snap, um, a million of them. Brian Chesky from Airbnb, and it's probably because a lot of this started to get like media started to get um, democratized, and people are sharing these experiences on social and all of that. But it's like there was something, and it's probably similar to what you just said about the social network. Where it's like, for you, that's what made entrepreneurship cool. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason why everybody wants to be an entrepreneur now. And I think it's because of the way a lot of these stories were told or the way that it was championed for like these 20, 30-year-old billionaires. But I think there's, I think for certain people, it was that draw of like the extreme wealth. But for other people, it was like the, what I think fuels people like us is like creating something from nothing. Like, building stuff into this world that didn't exist prior. Yeah. It's, it's those two things. It's one is, well, one, which I have always, and I think still love, and I know you do too, is like the game of it, of like the the idea in the middle of the night, the idea in the middle of your golf game that like you get fired up and you have to tell the team about like, that's part of it. And then also the act of the game of like recording a podcast and now we're building this new thing like this, this, the present moment, like this is that that's part of it. But then the other part, as you mentioned, is like the, um, 
affecting change and like yeah and that's why i think um to bring up yay again like he i i think a better word than entrepreneur now is engineer he talks about engineer like engineering is the future like you you are an engineer like an and and i i realized i was an engineer after i created maxi and um i had developers telling me like 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 people were reaching out to like try to become like the full-time maxi team developer and um and that like i they were like i was like no but like i didn't code anything like i had my friend nick like Mm -hmm. basically show me how to plug in zapier and stuff and like no but like this is more you're more of a developer than me because people are actually using your product like you're a developer you're an engineer like yeah like if you have an so yeah i mean if you have an idea and you enact it into the world and people start using it, then you're an engineer. And I think that that is one of the coolest things. Yeah. No, I think it's definitely, I, I think there's this sports mentality to entrepreneurship that mm-hmm. we're both like and competing. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point of like coming up with an idea and then taking it into action, if you're working at a big company, it's like, okay, you come up with an idea, you have to wait two weeks till that Friday meeting to present your idea, and then it has to get passed by 10 people, and then maybe 90 days from now, um, once the quarter's passed, then you can take steps towards implementing that idea. Mm-hmm. And by that time, you've lost the lost passion for the initial idea you've been fucking had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where in entrepreneurship, you decide that you want to implement something tomorrow. There's no yellow tape telling you you can't do so yeah so okay let's go back further to that that original question that sparked this which was you're imitating guys that i talk to a lot like i'm just trying to build my agency and all my friends want to do is party work in silence go work in silence for a year i like so those are people that already know what they're passionate or like what they want to build. Like my biggest thing, if, if you look at like what I would have done differently like seven or eight years ago, and I forget where I saw someone say this, but it's like if I had known the game a little bit better, I would have gone and found one of these guys that I've talked about, like one of these guys that I wanted to be like. And I would have... I would have gone and friggin' figured out a way to track them down and say, these are the things that I could do for you. I want to work for you for six months. Mm-hmm. I'll do it for free. And you decide after six months whether I'm worth keeping around. Mm-hmm. Let me into your world. I will not get egg in your face. I will never do anything that will, will in any way give you a black eye or a brand of black eye. I will be here hustling, doing everything you needed me to do. Let me prove myself. I, th- I think that perhaps would have worked seven years ago. But I don't think it would work anymore. I think because I think I think because I get that message every day. People are too wrapped on the game now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I get I get that message all the time now too, and like I get I get shit. It's from, actually kind of selfish. I get shit from kids too that like I used to send, and I acknowledge that I yeah. used to send it. Like, and then they get like the little cocky fucking messages too that I used to send, where it's like you'll hear about me one day. You you watch. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> All right. Like, it gets my attention. Like, I'm like, I hope, because I sent that shit. I, I sent that shit in fucking, in 
when I was 24. Mm-hmm. There, there were there, there are so many, even people, like there's so many emails from freaking 2014, 2015, 2016 to people that I'm now working with that like if they if they went back and saw some of these emails from different emails, not like my Hoobie email now, like my personal email. Like I pulled up one from Katie Austin um, a couple of years after we started working together from like 2014, like pitching her on something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've been at I've been at this shit. Like those dark days were like, I've been at this shit. Like mm-hmm. they, they, it didn't just happen. Mm-hmm. Like I've been trying to get into this world, and I've been putting in. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of dark fucking times for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I. I'm trying to think. I mean, like when I had the ideas, though. I immediately surrounded myself with equally delusional idiots. What do you mean? Like when I had the app idea rally, the first thing I tried to do was get my two roommates a roommate and best friend. Actually, one of them was Jackson to try to learn to code. That was my first idea. We're going to go to codewithchris.com and we're going to learn Python and we're going to build the next biggest app. Code with Chris. Yeah. It was like the, it was like a, free coding academy gotcha so that was my first idea and that quickly fell apart um and then i don't even know how i found this kid but i found this kid named dan who went to rpi who became like my co-founder for the app and we spent every waking hour aside from like doing schoolwork building this company with no idea what was happening. And like, did you not did have last, any less than a year? What did this last less a than year, a year? It lasted a year, pretty much a year. Exactly. Did I not have what? Like, did you not recruit? Did you not? Could you just not find people that were at least like they weren't on, they were on like a level, but they were on your level. I find that hard to believe, like knowing how good you are with people. Or maybe I just, I don't know. Like I recruited people that were, I had him, I had my app idea and my roommate who I was trying to teach to code, um, <laughs> or I was trying to learn to code with, he said, dude, I'm not really like into this, but like, you got to meet this other guy. Uh, his name's Sam. And I was like, okay. He's like, yeah, he like made like millions in high school, like selling, I don't know, like, I don't know. He made millions in high school. And I was like, okay. And I had this, my first ever business meeting in the dining hall at our school. And I presented him my like pitch mm-hmm. for my app. And he looked at me and was like, this is valued at $250,000. And I was like, holy shit. Who is this kid? He just valued your idea right away. Yeah. Should have been like, all right, give me, give me a check for a hundred thousand bucks. I'll give you 30% of it. <laughs> So this is what what I'm saying is like, I found other idiots to work on this with. Like I was able to find that. Yeah. Like, did you not try or did you what, like, what were you talking like pre and pre casting Yeah. Did you not have I mean, like I other, had, I had a product guy. I had Alec who's still designing our product today, Okay, but he wasn't like a, like some people are built mm-hmm. to stake their flag in the ground and say, Hey, I'm going to fucking set out and do this. Mm-hmm. And there, there are, um, risk, 
uh, what's the word? They're, they're able to take on risk enough to like take in investor monies or stake that flag in the ground and say, I'm going to do this. And like the, the fear of doing that, like putting yourself out there for, like that is a lot for some people. Some people aren't built for this startup game of, for, for this, mm-hmm. this game of, of creating something that engulfs their entire, entire identity to the point where like, I don't know what I would do if, if Hubi didn't exist. You know what I mean? Like, like that, that's a lot for people to tie up. Like my entire ego and everything I am as a being, and this might, this is bad, is tied up in the success at, of Hubi and tied up in, in, in what Hubi becomes. Like so much more, and this is unhealthy, so much more than like Jordan Greenfield as a dad. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a huge focus of mine, and, but it's not a, a fear nearly as much in terms of like my relentless pursuit of being a winner on the entrepreneurial side with Hubie. Like being a good dad doesn't keep me up at night. I mean, I guess it does sometimes because he doesn't sleep well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that sounds bad, but like I'm not like I'm not like looking at the ceiling at night fearful of not becoming a success in regards to being a dad. I don't know if that's a good thing because I feel like I, I like I I have that box checked off and like that's within my my power or if it's just like I'm so consumed by the entrepreneurial um, just cycle of life where it's like everything in my my mind that runs in terms of anxiety is tied up in my business. It's not really tied mm-hmm. up in personal. So how does that relate to the friends? How does that relate to the friends? Um, well, with the friends you were, I mean, I mean just two different topics. Well, the, fr- the original question surrounding the friends was, um, you were asking if people come to you and say, I was asking why, what, what was happening when you were looking out, like when you were first starting, you said it was lonely. Like, did you not, did you present your ideas to friends? Like what was their reaction? You said like, Oh, they just want to drink a naggy light. But like, I want to know more detail. Like I have specific, very specific memories of these, like people that I would share ideas with and they would like write them off, but other people I'd share ideas with and they'd be like, that's worth $250,000. Yeah. And then I was like my like buddy that I built nothing with. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, people were just like, people would just like undermine, like they would look at what I was doing as like, and these are people that would never admit now, Mm -hmm. but like the tone in which when I first started being like, I'm going to go fucking do my own thing Mm -hmm. and and I'm going to succeed in doing it. People would like like fucking rub it like rub it off like yeah. like Jordan has a fake job or whatever. And so it's like look at me now, dude. Yeah. So so for for those two years, you had Alec. Did you not have any other friends that like came along the way and left and were there a little bit but didn't really know what they're doing? And then no. I was with Alec a year before Hubie sort of took off. Okay. Before Sam and and Cass and Connor and some of those guys joined. So, and before that, you didn't have any other like. Well, I was working friends was that were working, in the same mindset. I was folk, I was working full time in biotech at that time. Oh, so I wasn't okay. really. And like on the back end of that, I started getting my entrepreneurial entrepreneurial itch of like I'm going to go do my own thing. Uh-huh. It's just like I was waiting for timing. I was waiting to save up the appropriate money. So uh, then, your circle of people around you was your network in biotech. 
So I've who, I've always been a very social person, Ireland. But if you I think know. about like I have my my high school friends that I went to Rivers with. Mm-hmm. I have my friends that I made when I went to, to Fairfield University. I have my friends that I made when I went to, to Marquette University. When I went to um, high school, I was on a lacrosse team each year with forty people. I was on a hockey team with thirty people. When I went to college at Fairfield University, I had a, I had a lacrosse team of sixty people every year. At Marquette University, I had a lacrosse team of sixty people. That's a lot of numbers, and I've always. Like every single one of those places I went, I had groups of best friends and mm-hmm. I was a very social person with all those people. Mm-hmm. You see me now. I'm not, I'm not on the phone with 50 people a day. I have a lot of those people that when I see them, when I talk to them, it still picks up to, just like it did, it, it, it did when, or like, just like our relationship was when I, when I was in the, in the heap of it with them. But, um, there are certainly people that I lost along the way because, they thought I didn't have enough time for them. Like, like I said, like this, this game is a stressful game, and like I haven't invested nearly as much time as I should with my my um, my parents over the last four or five years, with my sisters, with my cousins, with my aunts, with my uncles, with my best childhood friends. Like, because it this is a it's a sick game to be in, and mm-hmm. I, I, like I think that there's a a layer on top of what you're doing in your pursuit that adds an additional layer of anxiety to this. And that's like, we take on investors on this. We have financial Mm -hmm. obligations to those people. It is fully fucking consuming Mm -hmm. and it does not shut off. Mm -hmm. And even when you're away from your phone, away from your computer and you're supposed to be out at lookout farm picking apples and everyone's like, why aren't you smiling? It's like, cause I'm not even close to here right now. Mm -hmm. I am so far in another world Mm -hmm. thinking about things that aren't even like, I'm not awake right now in, in this, you're talking about the, the now stuff, mm-hmm. but that's, that's the, that's, that's the other side of entrepreneurship that I, I think people don't sometimes understand. Doesn't shut off. So you didn't find any other del- delusional people. What I'm trying to get at is in that first two years, you said it was completely lonely. You said you bit, you've admitted you only had one friend at, who was on the same mindset. All you're telling me, all your other friends from Fairfield prep school, Marquette, biotech, no. none of them were Every, in the same. No, everyone was going the traditional route, bro. Everyone. Everyone. I mean, and I didn't even, at that point, what was I selling to them? I was selling to them that something where we needed a shitload of money to do. I wasn't a developer. I, I didn't have a product stuff. I was working with my sister, Jordana, early on on this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, that was my sounding board. Mm-hmm. There was no, no, there was no one. And it wasn't, it's, I mean, looking back, looking at it now, like with what we have with Hubi, it's like crazy that four or five years ago, someone didn't want to run with this with me, but the shit I was telling people I was going to accomplish four or five years ago, even though it's, we've done exactly what a lot of the shit I've said now mm. was crazy talk to them. There was one guy named Mark, who's a legend from Iconic. Mm-hmm. He has the art company. Have you seen on Instagram the art company Iconic? They do like the um, motivational, um, like the motivational paintings. You've definitely seen them. They're huge. They're all over TikTok too. They're a huge company. Scooter Braun's an investor in them. They do like the canvas art. They're legends. But Mark, I seen them. so Mark in like 2020, before we launched Hubi, um, Hubi 2.0, Hubi Pages, as as people know Hubi today. I got on with him and I was like, yo, dude, like you should see the response we're getting to this. People are loving these pages we're creating. We hadn't had like 50 or any of those people on the, on the product yet. And I was like, I'm going to finish fucking building this and I'm going to go get all these names onto our platform. 
and he listened to me and he like listened, listened through it all. He didn't end up investing. I was like trying to get his, um, some of his support and he reached out. It was like the nicest fucking note I've ever gotten, but he reached out like a, a year later and it was like, bro, I just want to let you know, like a lot of people say, not a lot of people do you fucking delivered on exactly what you told me you were going to do a year ago. And you were putting out there some pretty ridiculous shit. And he was just essentially giving me a pat on the back. Like, cause there were so many people that have laughed us, laughed at us about like some of the shit that we've said we were going to do. And he just acknowledged the fact that like, Hey, I thought you were crazy when you fucking said this a year and a half ago or a year ago. But I recognize that you fucking delivered on that. And that was cool as shit. A, how do I stop hanging out with my toxic? Yeah, I've, I've been doing entrepreneurship for a year. I'm making, I'm making like two grand a month. No, I have like this app that like helps people. Uh, it's like Uber, but uh, for books. So like, they read you books in the Uber, and I have like three investors already. I've made, I've, I've raised like 500k, um, and like I'm having a lot of success with this, this uh, app. Um, but like my friends, like, and like, I'm working out and like on my fitness and like all my friends do is like smoke weed. And like, I, I'm trying, I love them, but I don't want to hang out with them as much. What should I tell them? What do you tell them? I mean, I think you just do. I think you just start. Just outwork them to a point where they don't want to work that hard. Like start- but they don't work. I know, but I'm saying like create a routine that is so something that they don't want to associate with because they don't have that work ethic that you have. I mean, if you're like living, if you're trying to do something, if you're trying to build something meaningful and you have like, and you have roommates that are like that, that's an issue. If they are my roommates. Yeah. Move. My lease ends in February. So I have three more months. I mean, I've raised 500k though. Yeah, I mean, who the fuck are those investors investing in fucking Uber for books? <laughs> fucking it's Uber, but they read you books in the car. Cool. Um, you can't you can't live with those fuckers. You gotta you gotta get out of there. You gotta get out of there. But they're there, and one of them's my brother. I didn't I didn't never had these experiences because I was <laughs> yeah. the only person I lived with was Casson. Yeah. I faded. I faded with all the people that weren't on board with what I was doing. There was never a conversation about it. It was just a known thing that they weren't really vibing with what what I was doing. Their energy wasn't serving me anymore. And I just faded. I just stayed focused. And I had just that endless pursuit towards what we were trying to build. and, And these relationships just faded away because... There's one thing on my mind, and that was this this entrepreneurial goal. Mm. I so for my book Uber app, I've raised money from like my friend's dad, um, who I've known like for a really long time. Um, but I want to like have I want uh, Jeff Bezos to invest, or actually not Jeff Bezos, but like I like I live in Colorado, and like my dad's like friend is cousins with Bezos 
and he runs like a other company and like i want him to invest your dad's friend yeah who's not jeff bezos well they're not really friends but they they live they like go to the same club you want jeff bezos to invest no like well i would but i want his like cousin yeah you want his cousin to invest. I mean, with like certain people, like I've already tried to, to go that route of getting Jeff to invest. With certain people, there's there's not enough upside for them to invest. Like, Jeff, But it's like my dad's friend, sort of. Like they go to the same country club. Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of the way like I've gotten people to invest, I think, I think storytelling is a big component of it. I think that you want to go to people at the right time when it's actually a good time for them to invest instead of going too early because with a lot of these big names, you only have, you only have a real shot with them once. Um, raising money is a combination of um, storytelling and delivering on what you say you're going to deliver on because a lot of my investors have come around two or three different times. So if you, if, if you deliver on what you said you were going to do the first time, it's a lot easier when you go back around for that follow-up round of financing. If they know that what you say you're going to do, you're going to do everything in your power to deliver on that. Um, but fundraising is a, it, it is a necessary evil of entrepreneurship and it's, um, it's like a full, full consuming game when you are in fundraise mode. Um, but I don't know. I don't know for that specific example. I could give you like, what would you do? If what, if a lot of my early checks from investments came from like, and I think I told you this, but like I went to Fairfield university. I used to get paid like a hundred bucks for playing catch with a kid in their front yard for an hour for lacrosse because their their dads were wealthy as shit. And I just stayed in touch with a lot of those people who thought I was a winner and believed in me and watched my, um, watch me succeed over the last whatever, 10 years. And just believe that like, regardless of how many times I got knocked down, I was going to stay persistent and get back up. And so I just, I, I kept a lot of those relationships and like, I was always good to be people along the way. Like I was, I was, um, a lot of relationships that I invested in five, 10, 15 years ago, a lot of the ones that have been most critical in, in helping me get through some of this stuff with Hubie now. So I think like that's part of it too. You got to, how did you, how did you get them to invest? Um, how do you tell a good story? That's a good question. Yeah, how do you tell a good story? I mean, I think all I think all good stories are. are I teach storytelling, but I want to hear your take because you're a very good storyteller. Um. Well, I think in order, in order to tell a good, passionate story, there needs to be authenticity behind it. Like, I think it's hard to create a a story from nothing. You might you might push back against that, but I think that. Um, for me, it came pretty effortless because I was just so passionate about what I was telling the story about. Like I wasn't, I wasn't going into it strategically trying to tell a story, but that's what it came out being because it was like this bigger than life goal and vision of what we were going to build. And then as the story, the story continued to progress and we, 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 we began to build this like trajectory of piling momentum on top of momentum and every every time i would have a follow-up with any of these individuals it was like a new piece of of good um 
I mean, it's just, just like new developments that continue to, to put weight behind what I was telling. But um, it's, it's really just a momentum game. The startup game is a momentum what, game. What practice consistently do you think you've done that has helped you improve your storytelling the most? What practice? Yeah. I mean, I think the last five years, I've just, because of the nature of what I do, I've been forced to be in a lot of uncomfortable situations where I have to talk to large groups of people. I have to talk to people of all different backgrounds, um, financial standings, all these different things where it's like, I don't really, I don't really find myself anymore being put into situations that I consider uncomfortable because I've, I've been in them so many times. So I think just like the act of continuously putting yourself and stretching these situations that you put yourself in. I think you're forgetting something. What? Two letters. Me? No. What? Two syllables. Boom, boom, pal. No. What is it? You've had a lifelong apprenticeship. Father? Mm-hmm. KG. Uh, yeah. You think? I remember the first time I met KG, it, a lot of it made a lot more sense to me. Wow. I think this is a really cool point, too. I'll, like, talking about breaking down your... Uh, skill set of, of like not knowing exactly how you do some of the things you do. The first time I went to your house and I saw you and KG in the room together on the phone with, I think it might've been big night. I was like, Oh yeah. George has like, been watching this his whole life. Well, have you not? I mean, I, I don't like really think of it. Is Noah not going to watch you on the phone the way you do? Yeah. Like your dad's a master. Yeah. I, th- I, I guess I never really compared it that closely because what we do is completely different. Like it's not in the same, I guess he's a storyteller too, but I also think of like his storytelling a lot more flamboyant than mine. Cause he's like the theater <laughs> guy as well. So like he gets like, I don't really, I mean, I guess I say some of the mushy stuff on the phone, but like, so my, my dad, my, my father and my relationship is incredibly, incredibly important to him because he, um, he lost his father at a young age. He lost his dad when he was 13 years old. His dad was a, um, a doctor and you're going to have to stop fondling, fondling the microphone during this story. Sorry. Um, his dad died when he was 13. He was a doctor. He died highly underinsured. And so my dad, um, and my dad had a special needs brother and an older sister that didn't do incredibly well financially. And so he, he sort of took on the, the man role in the house, but he got into, um, selling life insurance because that, that's like mm. his, his father died like that. That's kind of, it, it made sense because of his life circumstances. Um, but I think that like my grandfather, my, my, uh, my dad's dad who passed away was Jordan Greenfield and I'm obviously Jordan Greenfield the second. So that was an incredibly important relationship to him because mm. I'm the only boy. Um, so I definitely, I mean, out, out of my, the four Greenfield kids, I definitely spent the most one-on-one time i think with my pops as a, as a kid because it was that father-son bond i did a lot of sport, sports with him he coached a lot of my teams um but i think because what did he do your grandpa he was a doctor oh okay 
Interesting. Yeah. That's why for me, like my biggest, my biggest awakenings since Noah's been born in the last year have been about, and we talked about this a little bit at your workshop. I know I'm going on a side ch- tangent here, but the, um, the idea of legacy. I told you that story about Noah's doctor that mm-hmm. I ran into. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. We were talking about KG before, but. Did you? What? Noah's doctor? It's a fucking wild story. I don't think he told me this. So we're at the hospital. Noah was born on 12 21, so a little over a year ago. And we had moved back to Boston from Vegas to be around our in laws. And we were at um, Newton Wellesley Hospital. Were you born at Newton Wellesley? No. I was born at Newton Wellesley. We were at Newton Wellesley. Bianca was preparing to have Noah. And we didn't have a pediatrician yet. So the nurse that came in recommended a pediatrician, which was a mile down the road from us in Natick. She recommended this pediatrician, okay? So my, my grandfather would be 90 now. Jordan Greenfield would be 90 years old. When I was like 10 years old, I, I like broke my arm or something and I went into a, a Natick hospital where my Papa Jordan used to work and some nurse came in and was like, came in the room, teared up a little bit. Because my, my, da- my grandfather was definitely a big personality just like KG and, and myself were. This nurse came in, this is like 10 years ago, and was tearing up and was like, don't tell me you're Jordan Greenfield's grandson. Wow. And Chills. Yeah, it was crazy because this lady was like crying. And I thought that that was the last time that ever fucking happened to me because my grandfather would have been 90 now. So I'm like, anybody that would have been out of practice, like in practice when my grandfather is around, was around, is gone. This lady recommends fucking this pediatrician a mile down the road in Natick. We go three days after Noah's born and we're sitting in the pediatrician's office and Noah's up on the table and I'm like standing there holding him. Bianca's in there and this fucking like 75-year-old doctor walks in and same fucking thing. Doesn't even look at me and Bianca. Just looks at Noah and goes, don't tell me that's Jordan Greenfield's great-grandson. Whoa. And chills through my spine. I just started crying. Wow. I was like, no fucking way. So he proceeded to spend like 45 minutes. I'll show you pictures after on my, on my camera of this, of this doctor. This guy's the nicest guy in the entire world. And it's like, I'm starting to hear stories now because like with any death, like I, I, I even asked and poked as much as I should with, with Papa Jordan, but like Papa Jordan, everyone standing was a legend, the legend of the family. Mm-hmm. And we don't talk about like, I don't, it's, it's not often that we bring up stories about him. So here I am getting this experience as a 30 year old who just had his first baby to talk with someone that knew my grandfather directly. He's 70, um, 45, 40 years ago. And this kid was coming into the practice and Papa Jordan was mentoring him. And this guy thinks my grandfather's the coolest guy in the world. This doctor that's now 75 year old, 75 years old, who's like the sweetest guy ever. And he's sitting there spending 45 minutes with Noah. And then every time we go to the doctor, I'm like, this is the same guy when I dropped, when, when Noah dropped for the first time, the story I told with Katie Austin the other day yeah. that I'm, I'm bringing him into. Mm. And now, like the last time I went, there's like this, he's telling me like all these legends of my, of my grandfather that I, mm-hmm. got, this guy I never had a chance to meet. But he, the thing about legacy that I wanted to get to is the way that this guy's telling you stories about my grandfather is his legacy. 
Like this, the stories that remain and the way people talk about you mm-hmm. when you're gone is your legacy. Mm-hmm. And that's not important for my Papa Jordan and his ego. He's gone. He's yeah. not here anymore. Right. That's important for the people that come after you. Yeah. And so like what is, God forbid something happened to me when I was, when, I, when I'm 45 years old. What is Noah's son going to hear about me? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's what I think should fuel people. Mm. It's like, you want, your, you want your blood 50 years from now to be fucking tearing up because of how proud they are of somebody that shared their last name with them that mm. long ago. So mm-hmm. the one story, and then I'll shut up, is, is there's this legend of, of Papa Jordan where there was, this, um, there was this lady that had just had a baby. I think she was a single lady, had a couple kids, and she called at... Um, 3.20 in the morning because the kid, the baby was screaming when um, it, it was this newborn baby. The baby the baby was screaming. And this is like back in whatever, the six, 60s or 70s. And the lady was like hyperventilating. And Papa Jordan jumped on and was like, these are the things that it could possibly be, do this, this, and this. And then Papa Jordan for the next week at the same time that baby woken up because a lot of this stuff repeats with babies at 3.20 in the morning was just calling this lady back in the middle of the night, setting his alarm, waking up and calling this lady. He's like, these are the types of things your grandfather did for people. Mm. He's not getting paid extra to do that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think like that, that's where having a kid and like entering these different stages of your life can make you think about stuff differently. Yeah. Sorry. None of that. We're gonna we're gonna have to zap that out. Because here's the thing: I know you're empathetic. That's so annoying to the listener. Because they're listening to your story, but they're also just like, you can hear that. Yeah. Sorry. Um. So, wow, that's wild. So, first of all, wild story. Second of all, part of what we were talking about is how do you become a better storyteller. Uh, and this is, this is something I've like analyzed and broken down, but you did like, I was paying attention to you as you did it. One of the most important parts of the story is the hook. Do you know what your hook was? No. You started off the story. First of all, you said you kind of like glossed over it, but you're like, um, I told you the story about my, about my grandfather, the doctor or something yeah. like that. And that piqued my interest. And then I said, no, I don't think you did. You have told me that story. And you looked at me, you went, you went this is a fucking wild story. Wild. So, so, and then, and then you start the story, yeah. right? So that, that's, um, that's a hook. I have, uh, I have like 30 or 40 sentence starters yeah. that I give to the guys in tribe. Uh, but that's, that's a good one. Uh, there's so many, it's it just like, there's also like dynamic ones you can create. Like you can say, you know, you, you can say, you could have, you could have started that like, you believe in reincarnation, right? It, like some yeah. like folk, like, like mystical, magical, like beginning, yeah. right? Or you could have said, um, and you do this all the time. Like you don't even realize you're doing this, but th- this is also copywriting. Like talk about Cameron, like, uh, this is what copywriters do. It's like wording everything you say so that people, they don't have a fucking choice but to listen to you. Yeah. I mean, the worst is bad storytellers. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. see, even what you just said right there, like that was copy. Because guess what? 
Now I'm like, oh, do you have a story about a bad storyteller? No, but I just think like all bad yeah. storytellers, like bad storytellers, like halfway through lose confidence in their story. And then it's like, oh shit, they're going to yeah. crawl this across the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say too, another um, thing I think you you do like analyzing your your storytelling behavior and how you've gotten better at it is similar to what I've done in my journey, which obviously mine was like, I would storytell to a camera and then I would watch it back or a podcast and I would listen to it. And I also got feedback from viewers. So I saw like audience retention and stuff on the, like the video literally says like at four minutes, people dropped off. And so I could pay attention to that. But you, you do it in like live. And I would imagine like, let's say you're on, you're pitching to investors or something. And I don't know if this happens all the time, but you, I'm imagining you probably see a lot of them in the Google meet, like you see their faces, but doing that for years, you start to, and doing the same pitch over and over, you start to notice when people start to stop paying attention. And when they do, you, you learn other techniques to reel them back. And this is something you, you did earlier as you were telling me a story before when I was a little bit tired. Uh, you were telling me the Akon story at the beginning of this. And one thing you, you realized you were, I was kind of tired. You were sort of having it go on and you said, and this, or this story is already going long enough. Like you just threw that in there and that, that actually perks my attention up. Cause I'm like, Oh fuck, I'm probably not paying attention. And also that buys you like at least another two minutes to finish the story because I think it's about to end. Yeah. So I think about a lot of these things. I'm but, a fucking expert storyteller. I just don't know it yet. <laughs> yeah, I, you are. You want one more? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we could. What? Why not? What, maybe this next prompt will prompt a story. What What if my family doesn't support what I'm doing? I don't think you would know about that. I Let's revisit that. I want to go back because on the KG note, like this is a principle like that I've realized that I think is really good advice. Not that this is meant to be an advice podcast, but leaning into what your parents' skills are because like that's more, the more I've like, the more I go through things, the more I realize that like what my parents have taught me is genius. But, and that I have such a leg up around people because of what my parents have taught me. And I think if people lean into that more they would have a lot more success yeah no absolutely i think i think with my dad it's probably like the business development and the relationship side of things i think that like storytelling i think that theater yeah for sure i wish i did theater longer that's always been my biggest regret because if you can if you can be put in the position as like a straight male to put yourself out there and like dance around in tutus as like a high school kid who thinks he's a jock too there's no more uncomfortable position you can be put in and so if you can if you can feel comfortable with that in like those sketchy fucking years of 16 to 25 when you're like trying to figure out who you are in this world um i think for my mom my biggest superpower is like my mom i think my mom's the best host in the world Mm -hmm. and people people like ask me about like even like to less extent, we've been talking about like the, the 50 party or like David's birthday party or like the stuff we used to do in, in Vegas or in Boston. You can scoot your chair down if you want. Like I am just a knock. I've yeah. been hosting and putting together 
parties. I've been the plans guy since I was like 10, 10. Mm-hmm. Like you're not, you learned how to frame your mom. I don't know. I've always gotten joy out of like bringing people together and like making a good memorable experience. And I think that has served me really well in business too. Cause I think a lot of people, like people used to, people used to say this when I was like trying to get to Trey London back in the day, they were like, he's a vibes guy. Everyone's a vibes guy. <laughs> Literally mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. Like anyone can be charmed by an experience that was meaningful to them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so creating a memorable experience for somebody I think is is a huge, like it's part of that networking game. It's part of the reason mm-hmm. I reached out to you and said, hey, let's go to the Salties game. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if I, I knew if I could provide a memorable, memorable good experience for you with that Celtics game, our relationship was off to a, a, a good start. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Yes. Is that it? What's the, what if my family doesn't believe in me? Fuck them. No. I mean, you think like, you think my family's believed in me the whole way? My family didn't. Yeah. I don't, my, my, <laughs> my, I mean, my, I, I, I think my parents to an extent, because they felt like if they didn't listen to me, that I would feel like they weren't being supportive. But they've definitely questioned what I've done. Mm-hmm. Same. I, I, I told you before, my, my sister was the first sounding board for this. <laughs> She's no longer involved at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I, I, I when to, I was I, looking yeah. for that smart person, like you, that, that other person you were talking about, I was using my sister as a sounding board. Yeah. She's a very smart girl. My sister makes a lot of freaking money now. She... She wasn't, she didn't stick around. Like she could have been, if she had wanted to, she could have been the co-founder of Hubi. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like those lonely days, she's another person too. She might not be entrepreneurial. She makes a boatload of money in, in, um, in digital media, but it's not, like I think she probably, I don't know. I've never talked to her about this. <laughs> like she knows that she could have been. Call the, her. She could have been the co-founder mm-hmm. of Hubi. Like my sister Jordana, who no one knows in any association towards towards Hubi, could have been the co-founder. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, when I first started, so as I was building my app, I also I had other. I was obviously running multiple businesses because you need multiple streams of income to be successful. So I was building my app. I didn't even tell you what about the app, but was called rally and i was like a i was actually an experienced thrower too at college i like invited everyone to the parties and by everyone i mean the cute freshman girls to the club hockey parties so that the junior and senior upperclassmen and could meet them but there was a big problem because like the list was a difficult thing to handle because i was doing it through facebook and like what if they wanted to bring friends there was no ability to invite friends so i created rally and it gave you the ability to let's say invite nine girls and then if they want to invite their friends they can suggest it and <laughs> looking back this would not pass today well you, you could swipe just left it, or right if they could you could have just made it party full dude 
Now, like for all the, <laughs> for all the events we run in LA, I literally just told Bianca to do this for Noah's first birthday parties. Use Partyful. It's like a great. That's, that was my. Yeah, app. yeah. That should. was my idea. Yeah. No, but anyway, so um, I had that, and then I had a Shopify store uh, called Boat Essentials. Mm-hmm. Boat essential essentials dot co. And that's where I was selling everything you might need for a boat. And I bought a course for $500 with my caddying money. And I had a linked joint bank account with my mom because I didn't have my own bank account because I, I don't know, I was 18. I just didn't. And um, my mom saw the transaction and froze my account and refunded the purchase. And I was very upset. And she was very upset at me for purchasing a how-to Shopify course. Um, in the early days of YouTube, I'm pretty sure my parents were concerned. (laughs) Really? Like, what is he doing? Yeah. That's funny. It wasn't until, I don't know when. I'm sure they started Googling. I mean, what year was that? When you first 2016. Yeah. You can go thank David and freaking all the other big ones that took off. No, they didn't Google that. No. No. Because keep in mind, too, is I was in Boston. Like, we talked about this last episode. There's nobody doing this except Gretchen. There's no guy filming his life and putting it on the internet. And then I wasn't making, I didn't make money for eight months. And then I did the clothing thing. And I think that's maybe when they're like, oh, interesting. But I still had a job. The whole first summer, even after I launched merch, I had a job. What, catting? I worked for a, I had an internship for a Shopify store. (laughs) And I was learning like customer support, how to, how to like write product descriptions, update a Shopify store. Like it would basically like an Aloativa sized yeah. startup. Yeah. And I was, man, I was like connoring it basically. Yeah. And, uh, I was making 15 bucks an hour while doing YouTube videos every day. It's dope. And then that actually that's, I think that's some of my best advice to the young entrepreneur is, Get an internship that pays you shit, but you learn skills because I learned how to run a Shopify store. And then I was able to do like a, you know, a year later, like a $30,000 weekend drop on merch. Cause I, I saw someone else do it. He yeah. wasn't doing those numbers, but you know, <laughs> I, I actually saw Lucy go, um, Lucy gal. Yeah. I forget how to pronounce her name. The billionaire. Yeah. Girl. Were you in New York with us when we went out with her? So but she, I, I, Lucy's Adam's pretty cool. Lucy's yeah. like a um, Forbes girl. She was like a self-made hundred millionaire on Forbes. Um, but Lucy put out a, a good piece of advice that was like, if you want to get into like more MySpace than Arlen space, if you want to be in like the startup world, right out of college too, the other good thing to do because you're kind of killing two birds with one stone is... Um, is put together a list of like the biggest VC companies in the um, in the country, and email them your skill set and ask if any of their portfolio companies are looking for to hire. Because if you go to like a Spark Capital of the world, they have like a hundred to two hundred of the biggest up and coming companies, mm-hmm. and you're not only now building a relationship and opening a door with those companies, but you're also starting that list of potential fund um, funders down the road. Mm. That's all, good. All the venture capitalists, yeah. 
I like advice like that. It's like shortcut. Yeah. I would still do what I was saying before. Like if I could, if I was 23 right now, I would probably, I would probably move to Vegas. I would start my side hustle and then I would go and I would be a, a non-social pushing VIP host at like Zook or like excess. And I would quietly meet as many wealthy and interesting people as I possibly could. Mm. Like I wouldn't be like that, uh, the promoter that you're thinking about in your head of like the douchey promoter, promoter, I wouldn't do that. I would quietly do it and like cherish those like five or six big relationships and take care of those, those big spenders in a way that no one else is like mm. attention to detail and all that. Mm-hmm. That's good. Do you want to cap it? Cap. Um, that was a good episode. Roughly, I don't know how long, but pretty long. I think I was better today. I got a little too stoned yesterday before the podcast. You did? You didn't let God speak? No. Sorry, uh, guys. Rogan smokes on his podcast, though. Uh, I bet. I guess it's fine. So, okay. So, thanks for listening. The next episode, we're going to talk about lessons. I think this one we got better. It's just going to keep getting better. I really like the flow. I think we hit some really good points, but favorite part was my was your story about your grandpa. That was cool. Yeah, you weren't listening. What? Oh, it was good. What I mean, I wasn't listening. I bet. Why did you say I wasn't listening? No, you weren't. You weren't listening to my other story. Oh, the first one. Yeah. Yeah, I was tired. All right, peace.